Chapter 11, Payday. Two weeks had gone by, and now Pa worked every evening after supper in his little office at the back of the store. He was making out the time checks. From the time book, he counted up the days each man had worked and figured how much he had earned. <clears throat> then Pa figured up how much the man owed the store. To that, he added the man's board bill at the cook shanty. He subtracted that amount from the man's wages and made out his time check. On payday, Pa would give each man his time check and the money due him. Always before, Laura had helped Pa with his work. When she was very little in the big woods, she had helped him make bullets for his gun. In Indian Territory, she had helped finish the house. And on Plum Creek, she had helped with the chores and the haying. But she could not help him now for Pa said that the railroad company did not want anyone but him to work in the office. Still, she always knew what he was doing, for the store was in plain sight from the shanty's doorway, and she saw everyone who came and went. One morning, she saw a fast team come dashing up to the store's door, and a man in fine clothes got out quickly from the buggy and hurried into the store. Two more men waited in the buggy, watching the door and looking around them on every side as if they were afraid. In a little while, the first man came out and got into the buggy. Another, After another look all around, they drove away quickly. Laura ran out of the shanty toward the store. She was so sure that something had happened there. Her heart was beating wildly, and it gave a great flop when she saw Pa safe and sound come out of the store. <clears throat> Where are you going, Laura? Ma had called after her. And now Laura answered, Nowhere, Ma. Pa came into the shanty and swung the door shut behind him. He took a heavy canvas bag out of his pocket. I want you to take care of this, Caroline, he said. It's the men's pay. Anybody that tried to steal it would come to the office. I'll take care of it, Charles, Ma said. She wrapped the bag in a clean cloth and worked it deep into her open sack of flour. Nobody will ever think of looking for it there. That man, bring it, Pa, Laura asked. Yes, that was the paymaster, said Pa. Those men with him were afraid, Laura said. Oh, I wouldn't say that. They were only guarding the paymaster keep him from being robbed, Pa said. He's carrying a good many thousand dollars in cash to pay all the men in the camps. Somebody might try to get it, but those men had guns enough on them and in the buggy. They had no need to be afraid. As Pa went back to the store, Laura saw the handle of his revolver showing from his hip pocket. She knew he was not afraid, and she looked at his rifle over the house, over the door, and his shotgun standing in the corner. Ma could use those guns. There was no fear that the robbers could get that money. That night, Laura woke up often, and often she heard Pa stirring, too, in the bunk on the other side of the curtain. The night seemed darker and full of strange sounds, because that money was in the flour sack, 
but no one would think of looking for it there. And no one did. <clears throat> Early in the morning, Pa took it to the store. This was payday. After breakfast, all the men gathered around the store. And one by one, they went inside. One by one, they came out again and stood in little groups talking. They would not work that day. It was payday. At supper, Pa said he must go back to the office again. Some of the men don't seem to understand why they only got, why they got only two weeks' pay, he said. Why don't they get paid for the whole month, Laura asked him. Well, you see, Laura, it takes time to make out all those time checks and send them in, and then the paymaster has to bring out the money. I'm paying the men their wages now up to the 15th, and in another two weeks, I'll pay them up to now. Some of them can't get it through their thick heads that they've got to wait two weeks for their pay. They want to be paid right up to yesterday. Don't fret about it, Charles, said Mom. You can't expect them to understand how business is handled. And they don't blame you, do they, Pa? said Mary. That's the worst of it, Mary. I don't know, Pa answered. Anyway, I've got to do some book work at the office. The supper dishes were soon washed, and Ma sat rocking Grace to sleep, and Carrie snuggled beside her. Laura sat beside Mary in the doorway, watching the light fade from the waters of the lake. She was seeing it out loud for Mary. The last light is shining pale in the middle of the smooth lake. All around it, the water is dusky, where the ducks sleep, and the land is black beyond. The stars are beginning to twinkle in the gray sky. Pa has lighted his lamp. It shines out yellow from the back of the back of the black store. Ma, she cried out. There's a big crowd of men. Look. The men were crowding around the store. They did not say anything, and there was not even any sound of their feet on the grass. Only the dark mass of men was growing larger very fast. Ma rose quickly and laid Grace on the bed. Then she came and looked out over Laura's head and Mary's. She spoke softly, come inside, girls. When they obeyed her, she shut the door, all but a crack. She stood looking out through the crack. Mary sat in the chair with Carrie, but Laura peeped under Ma's arm. The crowd was close around the store. Two men went up the step and pounded on the door. The crowd was quiet. The whole dusky twilight was quiet for a moment. Then the men pounded again on the door, and one called, Open the door, Ingalls! The door opened, and there in the lamplight stood Pa. He shut the door behind him, and the two men who had knocked stepped backward into the crowd. Pa stood on the step with his hands in his pockets. Well, boys, what is it? He asked quietly. A voice came from the crowd. We want our pay. Other voice shouted, our full pay. Come across with that two weeks pay you kept back. We're going to get our pay. You'll have it two weeks from now. 
just as soon as I can get your time checks made up, said Paul. The voices shouted again. We want it now. Quit stalling. We're going to have it now. I can't pay you now, boys, Pa said. I won't have the money to pay you till the paymaster comes again. Open up the store, somebody answered. Then the whole crowd yelled, that's it. That's good enough. Open the store. Open up that store. No, boys, I won't do that, Pa said coolly. Come in tomorrow morning, and I'll let each man have all the goods he wants on his account. Open up that store, or we'll open it for you, came a shout. A growl rumbled from the crowd. The whole mass of men moved in towards Pa, as if that growl moved them. Lara ducked under Ma's arm, but Ma's hand clenched on her shoulder and pulled her back. Oh, let me go. They'll hurt Pa. Let me go. They'll hurt Pa, Lara screamed in a whisper. Be still, Ma told her, in a voice Lara had never heard before. Stand back, boys. Don't crowd too close, said Pa. Lara heard his voice, pulled, and stood trembling. Then she heard another voice behind the crowd. It was deep and strong, not loud, but plainly heard. What's up, boys? In the dark, Lara could not see the red shirt, but only Big Jerry was so tall. He stood head and shoulders above the shadowy figures of the crowd. Beyond them in the dusk was a pale blur that could be the white horse. A confusion of voices answered Big Jerry, and then he laughed. His laugh was big and booming. You fools, Big Jerry laughed. What's the fuss about? You want the goods out of the store? Well, tomorrow we'll take what we want of them. They'll still be here. Nobody will stop us when we get started. Lara was hearing rough language. Big Jerry was using it. What he said was all mixed with swear words and with other words she had never heard. She hardly heard them now because she felt all broken up. She felt as if everything was smashed like a dropped plate when Big Jerry took sides against Pa. The crowd was all around Big Jerry now. He was calling some of the men by their names and talking to them about drinking and playing cards. Some of the crowd went with him towards the bunkhouse. Then the rest of it broke into smaller pieces and scattered away in the dark. Ma shut the door. Bedtime, girls, she said. Lara went trembling to bed, as Ma told her to do. Pa did not come. Now and then she heard an outbreak of loud, rough voices from the camp, and sometimes singing. She knew she would not sleep till Pa came. Then her eyes opened suddenly. It was morning. Beyond Silver Lake, the sky was burning gold and one line of red cloud lay across it. The lake was rosy, and wild birds flew up clamoring. The camp was noisy, too. All around the boarding shanty, the men were gathered in a milling crowd, talking excitedly. Ma and Lara stood outdoors at the corner of the shanty, watching. They heard a shout and saw Big Jerry jump onto his white horse. Come on, boys, he shouted. All aboard for the fun. The white horse reared and whirled and reared again. 
Big Jerry gave a wild whoop. The white horse broke into a run, and away they went over the prairie toward the west. All the men rushed to the stable, and in a minute, man after man was on his horse following Big Jerry. The whole crowd went streaming away on horses and was gone. A great, cool quietness came over the camp and over Laura and Merritt and Ma. Well, Ma said. They saw Pa walking from the store toward the boarding shanty. Fred, the foreman, came out of it and met him. They talked a minute. Then Fred went to the stable, got on his horse, and galloped away to the west. Pa was chuckling. Ma said she did not know what there was to laugh about. That big Jerry, Pa's laugh rang out. By gum, if he didn't lead them all the way to their devilment somewhere else. Where? Ma asked sharply. Pa was sober then. There's a riot at Stebbins' camp. Everybody's flocking there from all the camps. You're right, Caroline. It's no laughing matter. All day the camp was quiet. Laura and Mary did not go for their walk. There was no telling what might be happening at Stebbins' camp, nor when that dangerous crowd would come back. <clears throat> Ma's eyes were anxious all day. Her lips were tight, and now and then she sighed without knowing it. After dark, the men came, but they rode into camp more quietly than they had left it. They ate supper in the boarding shanty, and then they went to bed in the bunkhouse. Laura and Mary were still awake when Pa came, late from the store. They lay quiet in their bunk and heard Pa and Ma talking beyond the lamplit curtain. Nothing to worry about now, Caroline, Pa said. They're tired out and everything's quiet. He yawned and sat down to take off his boots. What did they do, Charles? Was anybody hurt? Ma asked. They strung up the paymaster, said Pa, and one man was hurt bad. They put him in the lumber wagon and started back east with him to find a doctor. Don't get so upset, Caroline. We better thank our stars we got off so easy. It's all over. I don't get upset till it is all over, Ma said. Her voice was shaking. Come here, said Pa. Laura knew that now Ma was sitting on Pa's knee. There, I know you don't, he said to her. Never mind, Caroline. The grading's pretty near done. This camps will be closing down, gone before long. And next summer we'll be settled down on a homestead. When are you going to pick it out, said Ma. Quick as the camps close. I don't have a minute away from the store till then, said Pa. You know that. Yes, I know, Charles. What did they do about the men that killed the paymaster? Well, they didn't kill him, said Pa. It was this way. You see, it's that it's the same at Stebbins' camp as here. The office is a lean-to at the back of the store. It has one door into the store, and that's it. The paymaster stayed in the office with the money and kept the door locked. He paid the men through a little opening beside the door. Stebbins has got over 350 men drawing pay there, and they wanted their pay up to now. 
like the men here wanted. When they got paid only to the 15th, they acted ugly. Most of them wear guns, and they were in the store, threatening to shoot up the place unless they got their full pay. In the melee, a couple of men got to quarreling, and one of them hit the other over the head with the weight from the scales. He dropped like a struck ox, and when they dragged him out into the air, they couldn't bring him back to his senses. So the crowd started out with a rope after the man that hit him. They trailed him easy enough into the slow, and then they couldn't find him in the high grass. They threshed around, looking for him. Through that, through, through that slow grass, taller than their heads, till I guess they'd ruined any trail he left. They kept on hunting him till past noon, and lucky for him, they didn't find him. When they got back to the store, the door was locked. They couldn't get in. Somebody had loaded the hurt man into a wagon and headed back east to look for a doctor. By this time, men were piling into the place and all the other camps. They ate everything they could get a hold of in the boarding shanty, and most of them were drinking. They kept pounding on the store door and yelling to the paymaster to open up and pay them, but nobody answered. A crowd of near a thousand drunken men is an ugly thing to deal with. Somebody caught sight of that rope and shouted, Hang the paymaster! The whole crowd took it up and kept on yelling, Hang him! Hang him! A couple of men, a couple of men got on the top of the lean-to roof and tore a hole in the shingles. They left the end of the rope dangling over the edge of the roof, and the crowd grabbed hold of it. The two fellows dropped down onto the paymaster and got the noose around his neck. Stop, Charles. The girls are awake, said Ma. Shaw, that's all there is to it, said Pa. They hauled him up once or twice is all. He gave in. They didn't hang him? Not enough to hurt much. Some of the crowd was breaking down the doors, the door with neck yokes, and the storekeeper opened it. One of the fellows in the office cut the rope and let the paymaster down and opened up the pay window, and the paymaster paid every man what he claimed was his due. A good many men from the other camps crowded in and drew pay, too. There wasn't any bothering with time checks. Shame on him, Lara cried out. Pa drew back the curtain. What did he do it for? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. She went on before Pa or Ma could say a word. There she was sitting on her knees in bed, her fists clenched. You wouldn't what, said Pa. Pay them. They couldn't make me. They didn't make you. That mob was bigger than ours, and the paymaster didn't have Big Jerry to help him, said Pa. But you wouldn't have, Pa, Laura said. Shh, Ma hushed them. You'll wait, Grace. I'm thankful the paymaster was sensible. Better to li better a live dog than a dead lion. Oh, no, Ma. You don't mean that, Laura whispered. Anyway, discretion is the better part of valor. You girls go to sleep, Ma murmured. Please, Ma, Mary whispered. How could he pay them? Where did he get the money when he'd already paid out what he had? That's so. Where did he? Ma asked. From the store. It's a big store, and it had already taken in most of what the men had been paid. They spend as fast as they get, said Pa. 
Now mind your mom, girls, and go to sleep. He let the curtain fall. Very softly under the quilt, Mary and Laura talked until Ma blew out the lamp. Mary said that she wanted to go back to Plum Creek. Laura did not answer that. She liked to feel the great wild prairie all around the little shanty. Her heart beat strong and fast. She could hear in her mind again the savage, fierce sound of that crowd's growl and Pa's cold voice saying, don't crowd too close. And she remembered the sweating men and sweating horses moving strongly through clouds of dust, building the railroad in a kind of song. She did not want ever to go back to Plum Creek. Chapter 12, Wings Over Silver Lake. The weather grew colder. The sky was full of wings and great birds flying. From east to west, from north to south, and as far up into the blue sky as eyes could see, were birds and birds and birds sailing on beating wings. At evening down, they came endlessly from the sky, sliding down long slopes of air to rest on the water of Silver Lake. There were great gray geese. There were smaller snow-white brant that looked like snow at the water's edge. There were ducks of many kinds, large mallards with shimmering of purple and green on their wings. The redheads, the bluebills, the canvasbacks, the teals, and many others whose names pods not know. There were herons and pelicans and cranes. There were little mudheads and the small hell divers that peppered the water thickly with their little black bodies. When a shot cracked, hell divers upended and vanished quicker than a winking. They went far down in the water and stayed there a long time. At sunset, the whole large lake was covered with birds of all kinds, speaking in every kind of bird's voice to each other before they went to sleep for a night of rest on their long journey from north to south. The winter was driving them. The winter was coming behind them from the north. They knew it, and they started early so that they could rest on the way. All night they rested, comfortable, on the water that held them so softly. And when dawn came, up they rose, again to swim onward in the high air with their rested strong wings. One day, Pa came from hunting, bringing a great snowy white bird. I'm sorry, Caroline, he said soberly. I would not have done it if I had known. I've shot a swan. It was too beautiful to kill, but I had no idea it was a swan. I never saw one flying before. It can't be helped now, Charles, Ma told him. They all stood looking sorrowfully at the beautiful snowy bird that would never fly again. Come, said Ma, I'll pluck its feathers and you skin it. We'll cure the skin with the swans down on it. It's bigger than I am, Carrie said. The swan was so large that Pa measured it. Its feathery white wings measured eight feet 
from tip to tip. Another day, Pa brought a pelican to the shanty to show Ma what it was like. He opened the long bill and a dead fish fell out of the pouch of skin underneath it. Ma snatched up her apron and pressed it to her face, and Carrie and Grace held their noses. Take it away, Charles. Quick, said Ma through the apron. Some of those fish were fresh, and some were fish that had been dead a long, long time. Pelicans were not fit to eat. Even their feathers smelled so strong and rotten fish that Ma could not save them from killers. Ma shot all the ducks and geese they could eat, but he shot nothing else except hawks. Sometimes he shot a hawk because hawks kill other birds. Every day, Laura and Ma plucked feathers from the scalded skins of the ducks and the geese that Pa shot for dinner. We'll soon have enough for a feather bed, said Ma. Then you and Mary can sleep in feathers this winter. All those golden autumn days, the sky was full of wings. Wings beating low over the blue water of Silver Lake. Wings beating high in the blue air far above it. Wings of geese, of brant, of ducks and pelicans and cranes and heron and swans and gulls, bearing them all away to green fields in the south. The wings and the golden weather and the tang of frost in the mornings made Lara want to go somewhere. She did not know where. She wanted only to go. Let's go west, she said one night after dinner. Pa, can't we go west when Uncle Henry does? Uncle Henry and Louisa and Charlie had earned money enough to go west. They were going back to the big woods to sell their farm, and in the spring with Aunt Polly they were all driving west to Montana. Why can't we, Laura said. There's all the money you've earned, Pa, $300. We've got the team and the wagon. Oh, Pa, let's go on west. Mercy, Laura, Ma said, whatever. She could not go on. I know, little half-pint, said Pa, and his voice was very kind. You and I want to fly like the birds. But long ago I promised your Ma that you girls should go to school. You can't go to school and go west. When this town is built, there'll be a school here. I'm going to get a homestead, Laura. You girls are going to school. Laura looked at Ma, and then again at Pa, and she saw that it must happen. Pa would stay on a homestead, and she would go to school. You'll thank me someday, Laura. And you too, Charles, Ma said gently. Just so you're content, Caroline, I'm satisfied, said Pa. That was true, but he did want to go west. Laura turned back to the dishpan and went on washing the supper dishes. Another thing, Laura, said Pa. You know Ma was a teacher, and her mother before her. Ma's heart is set on one of you girls teaching school, and I guess it will have to be you. So, you see, you must have your schooling. Laura's heart jerked, and then she seemed to feel it falling far, far down. She did not say anything. She knew that Pa and Ma and Mary, too, had thought that Mary would be a teacher. Now Mary couldn't teach. And, oh, I won't. I won't, Laura thought to herself. I don't want to. I can't. 
But then she said to herself, you must. She could not disappoint Ma. She must do as Pa said. So she had to be a school teacher when she grew up. Besides, there was nothing else she could do to earn money.